Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Who was here last week? I, a few of you. Okay, Jenny talked about something last week. There's a sort of an ongoing topic that's on your newsletter, so you don't have to be too clever to know what it is. What is it? Home improvements. All right, so Jenny says, she told me, oh, I've, I've wanted to do this for a long time, this home improvements. How can things be better in our home? When I went through Jenny's message, two of the things that she said in her message were, I, I want you to, to remember them as I say mine today. The first thing is that sometimes we can... We can develop really good Christian character and be very kind to people and order our lives very well, but the people at home we're not quite so careful with, right? Did you pick that up? That was something Jenny said, that the people in our home deserve our best as well as the people we meet out there. Ooh, ouch. Okay, and the second thing Jenny said was, this is such a big deal, such a big thing, that really it's beyond us. We need to ask God's help at every stage, and that makes sense, doesn't it? To show the kind of love that Christ showed is a big deal for us. It's very difficult. And we need God's help to do it. Now, my brother, he went to work for Youth for Christ in Auckland. And uh, he met Ian Grant, who was his boss. Who knows Ian Grant? Yep. Okay, now Ian Grant said to him, Andrew, in this game, you have to shoot for the stars. And you might hit the back fence. But if you hit the back, sorry, if you aim for the back fence, you'll just fall flat on your face. (laughs) And so... In today's message and in last week's message and in next week's message, we're, we're doing what we say, we're raising the bar very high. We're setting a very high standard and you might say, goodness, I could never do that. But I want you to think of something else as a sort of a, a picture of this. All right? Imagine if I said to you, I'm going to memorize the whole Bible from cover to cover, starting at the beginning right to the back. And you're going to look at me, some people would say, Jeremy, you're 67 years old, for goodness sake, this is not going to work. No, you're wasting your time. Other people would look at me and go, well, I don't know about that, but it will certainly do you no harm to try. Because as you work and as you fill your mind with the scriptures, even if you get them the next day, they're doing their work in you. So sometimes we aim high, we don't quite get there, but my goodness, what a lot of good has been done on the way. Got that? So today, we're going to raise the bar high, just like Jenny did last week, and we're going to admit that we're probably going to fall short. But if we keep at it, we're going to be all the better off for it. Last Thursday, Murray was talking about the dangers of taking everything from one verse of the Bible. Today's scripture is dangerous. It's been used to bully people by abusers. So we'll look at other scriptures, and we'll remind ourselves that this verse fits in with the rest of the chapter, and we'll remember to see it through the eyes of love, remembering what Jenny talked about last week. And we'll remember it has to be balanced with the rest of the Bible, and it has to be fitted into the whole Bible uh, message. Here's the, the, the verse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21. That's a pretty short verse, isn't it? So we've got some time to unpack it. Let's have a look at this. That word there, hupatasso, the definition is to place or rank under, to subject, to obey. And the usage, I place under, I'm subject to, I submit, I put myself into subjection. Goodness, the Lord's army suddenly jumped into the middle there. All right, so... When, we, when the Bible says Jesus submitted 
to his earthly parents, or maybe in your version was subject to them, it means he put himself under them. That's a pretty big deal, eh? The son of God putting himself under just a poor working man and a, little, and a young girl he married. It also says in the Bible that the demons submit to us. You seen that bit? That super tussle. So what it says is, just as Jesus submitted himself to his earthly parents, and just as the demons submit themselves to us, we are meant to submit ourselves to each other. Is that a bit of a shock? The other word is the one that's translated as out of reverence for Christ. So here it is. Yeah, there we go. That's it. There we are. So this word here is, uh, is phobos, and it's translated, oh, sorry, the word when it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, the word for reverence, what is reverence? Well, this is the word. The word is phobos. Do you recognize that? Hey, he's got a phobia. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. So the definition means panic flight, fear, the causing of fear, or terror. And it's used to mean terror, alarm, the object, or cause of fear, reverence, or respect. That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Pretty strong word. The guards shook with fear, the Bible says. That's phobos. The disciples screamed with fear. That's phobos. They met in secret for fear of the Jews. That's phobos. It's a very heavy duty respect. And sometimes we talk about the fear of God. Now, the fear of God, that doesn't mean being scared. Yes, it does. All right? We're a bit scared of God, so we mind ourselves. So what it says is submit to one another out of phobos, out of this great reverence, this kind of fear of Jesus Christ. In other words, yep, we're going to do it. Yes, God, we'll do what you say. So there's our two big Greek words for the day. So how should I be subject to you? Or how should you be subject to me? Why is Jeremy so concerned about this? Well, there's a bit of Jeremy in today's sermon. My background, my early discipleship, when I was learning to be a Christian as a teenager, I was involved in a branch of the church that where submission to authority was overstressed. I never fitted quite. I listened to a lot of the hotshot teachers of the day, which was great, and I thought, is that right? Is that right? I reserved the right to think for myself. And that wasn't very fashionable in that church and at that time. Jeremy, you think too much, somebody said. And in fact, some people don't think we should think very much, do they? Like, what are the, again, this? This is from the 1983 Watchtower magazine. The fight against independent thinking. And then in the article it says, this is independent, this is independent thinking. Why is it so dangerous? Now, that is not a Christian scripture. Where does that come from? Yes, you do know. It says at the top. It's from the Watchtower magazine, all right? Now, my dear brothers and sisters, the Jehovah's Witnesses, I do not agree with them about everything. I'm going to say that's nonsense. Can you imagine if the Jehovah's Witnesses were successful in doing what they tried to do for years and getting me to join them? How long would I last? Five minutes before I was kicked out. <laughs> this quote comes from the New Zealand Baptist magazine. There was a column called Thinking Aloud. We're allowed to think. In fact, I'm going to go further and tell you, you should. That's why I often say to you, my job is to speak and yours is to weigh what is said. You've heard me saying that, haven't you? But I'm not making that up. It's from 1 Corinthians 14.29. It says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. That's straight from the Bible. I might be wrong, so weigh what I say. Now, going back to this church that I was involved in back in the days there, there was a bit of a joke that went around. 
And the people used to say, the Catholics have a Pope in Rome, and this church has a Pope in every town. Uh, one person seriously said this. When they were asked, what is the job of the church? Their answer was, the job of the church is to carry out the vision of the senior pastor. I'm not making that up. That worries me. What happens if we put someone in the place of God? There is a term, reverend. Have you heard that? The reverend Aaron Henderson, all right? That worries me because that reverend word, that revere, reverence, is that holy fear, that phobos, the phobos Aaron Henderson, because I believe that we save that reverence for Jesus Christ himself. So you will not hear me these days referring to a person as a, as a reverend, one to be revered. We love each other. We respect each other, but we don't revere each other. We don't reverence each other. That's for God. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Christ is the reverend. Meanwhile, back in the 1970s, time went on, giants fell. The pastor of New Zealand's biggest church fell into immorality, started cheating on his wife. Because the church was built around him, it collapsed. Thousands of people lost their church home. They had their faith shaken, and they lost their trust. It was built around a man, you see, a good man, but he was just a man. The pastor of this church, Huntley Baptist Church, fell into immorality, and we just kept going because this church was never built around a man. We didn't have a pope. We didn't have a reverend in this place. What's that? Past one, yeah. Past pastor. <laughs> All right. Now, meanwhile, back in the day, back in the 1970s, the pastor of Belmont Baptist Church, Mel Maloney, said this, don't put me on a pedestal. God will have to knock me off. I agreed with him. Now, he was a good man. Mel Maloney was a good man. He'd been a sailor. He'd seen the tough side of life, and he was a tough pastor. But he knew that if the people he was dealing with put him up on a pedestal, God would have to knock him off. And whether God knocked him off was largely up to the people around him. Because if they'd done that, if they'd put him way up there, because he was a good guy, no doubt about it. He was a great guy. Luckily, they didn't, so God never had to knock him off. Do you remember Jim Jones? Yeah, he was a good man, wasn't he? Ah, the reverend, the reverend Jim Jones. He stood up for the poor. He gathered a following. He, he, he fought against racial injustice in particular. He, he adopted children from all sorts of different cultures as a picture. He built up a church which was more like a Fano, but he got carried away with his own importance. He began thinking God was telling him to do some strange things. He moved all his followers to Guyana, and they built a town in Guyana in the jungle. What was the town called? Jonestown. That tells a bit of a story, doesn't it? Jonestown. And then as this man got more and more carried away with his own importance and began to lead people further and further from, his, from, from their own thinking, they weren't allowed to think for themselves, of course, it ended up with a mass suicide. 909 people died in one day. Many of them drank the poison because they were told to. The rest were forced to do so at gunpoint and some were shot. That's, that is the actual poison they took. One third of those 909 people were children. You see... Jim Jones put himself in the place of God. Would I fall for that? I wouldn't fall for that because I think for myself. But what upset me when Jim Jones did this was this. Could I 
be that? Could I be that? You see, because I'm pretty clever, aren't I? And you like me. And I'm quite articulate. And I can explain things. Well, do you? Okay. But, well, I'll comfort myself that not everybody liked him either. But listen to what I'm saying. As a young man, I was in my early 20s when this happened. I, this chilled me to the bone, and I've never got over it. That could be me. That could be me. I could get carried away with my own importance and start to think that I'm the big cheese. And what that's actually done, it's, uh, it's given me a horror, a phobos of control to this day. I was, I've been a school principal, I've been a church elder, but I, I run a mile from anything that even smells like one person trying to control another. If somebody tries to control me, I won't let them. I won't let me try and control someone else. But what makes me really mad and where I really jump up and down is if I see one person trying to control another. I'm in there. I'm going into bat. God did not intend us to control each other. That's not what submit to each other means. It's not. I can still remember, because, you know, we have egos, don't we, especially we males. I can still remember the first time somebody called me pastor. He was an older Maori man. Oh, pastor, this not it. It felt good. <laughs> pastor. See, now I go in the marae now, and I'm introduced, okay, I get it. I am the minister on the marae. I'm doing that. I'm a minister because I'm a servant of God, okay? But nonetheless, when that happens, whenever that gets happened, I'm, in, I'm introduced as the minister or the pastor, the alarm bells go, alert, alert, Jeremy, don't let it go to your head. It's not your place to put you up there. You are the minister because you're serving God and bringing him into this place. You are the pastor because you look after people. But that's all. That's all. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. My job is to submit to you, not to try and make you submit to me. And that's the key. The manipulators use the scriptures to try and make us submit to them. So how do we do this? I've just spent a lot of time telling you what it isn't. What is it? If I were to say, Ernie, give me your car... Straight away, I'm, I'm doing a test case for the submit to each other, you see? Now, what I hope any is say, no, that would be the, the right answer, no. Or perhaps, why, Jeremy? Why, what, tell me about this. What's going on? You see, because submit to each other doesn't mean we have to do everything that anybody says. Janet says, don't forget to tell them it doesn't mean being a doormat. And I laughed. I said, it's already in my sermon. I'd already written it. Don't be a doormat. Somebody could come to you and say, can you give me a ride to Hamilton? What would you say? What for? Very good. So, <laughs> catch the train to Auckland. So somebody comes up and they go, can you give me a ride to Hamilton? What for? I want to go shopping at Kmart. Catch the bus. All right? Can you give me a ride to Hamilton? What for? The doctor just rang up. He reckons my cousin won't last beyond about 1 a.m. in the morning. You get your bag. I'll get the car keys. See? But the person who makes the decision is us. Submitting to one another doesn't mean we, we just don't make the decision. Oh, well, I better do what anybody says. No, we don't just do what anybody says. All right? Uh, and in fact, people around here would be so eager to take things off you and ask for help. I said to Janie one day, Janie Solomon, I said, you know, Janet and I were talking about it. If we gave to everybody everything they ever ask us for, we'd have nothing left at all. And Janie laughed. She says, that's exactly right, Jeremy. So I have a seconder. Now, here's another example of submitting to one another. 
Ian, my friend, who went to New Zealand's biggest church, the one I told you about, went up to a young woman and said, I think God wants you to marry me. What's that? Catch the train, says Aaron. Take a hike, take a jump. But you see, this woman went to that church and she did marry him. And it wasn't great. It wasn't good. Because you see, he was using this whole idea of submission to manipulate. Some years ago, there was a young man called Jared. Jared was a young disciple of Jesus Christ in this town. He didn't have a dad. His, his upbringing had been pretty tough with a solo mum. And he decided at the age of 14, he's going to follow Jesus Christ. So his mum said to him, Jared, go get me some smokes. She gave him the money. He went down the shop and he said, oh, I want a packet of cigarettes. She got the cigarettes. And they said, how old are you? He said, I'm 16. Right out. They gave him the cigarettes. He started to walk home. On the way home, God spoke to him. So he turned around and he went back to the shop. And he said, I told you I'm 16. I'm not. I'm only 14. And they go, well, we're really impressed with your honesty. Thank you. He gave him the cigarettes back. He gave him the money back, went home. His mum was mad. She was really mad. So you see, doesn't the Bible say that children are meant to obey their parents? Doesn't it? So why didn't he? He did obey his parents. He did obey his mother. But he didn't. See, it actually says children obey your parents in the Lord. The obedience his mother wanted was for him to lie, and that was too much to ask. There's no lying in the Lord. Satan is the father of lies. He wanted to obey his mum. He had a heart of obedience, but it had its limits. The enemy of obedience is rebellion. The Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Think about it. The sin of witchcraft is that I try to make you do what I want. That's what witchcraft is. It's not about pointy hats. The sin of rebellion is you saying, no, I'm not going to do what anybody tells me. They're rather alike. And that's why the Bible says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Jared was not rebellious, and neither are we. We love to obey, and we love to submit. But sometimes we have to obey God rather than humans, because God is bigger. This in Acts chapter 4 says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than God, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. See, we submit to God, and sometimes that means we don't submit to someone else. Two weeks later in the newspaper, the local paper, headline, Boy finds money and turns into police. Jared was walking down Main Street, on the footpath was an envelope with $1,000 cash. He took it to the police. He handed it in. The newspaper covered the story. 14-year-old Maori boy hands in cash. And his mum was as proud as punch of him. She was so proud. You can't have it both ways, mum. Do you want an honest kid or not? Some local parents teach their kids to steal, often as a family duty. Now, God calls those children not to rebel against their parents, but to obey them until they have something bigger to, to, to obey. So those kids, tidy up your room when mum says, Cook the tea if they're asked to. Take out the rubbish. Mow the lawn. Do what it takes, but don't steal because God says not to. What are some examples of where we can submit to each other? Well, 
there are many chances for us to submit to one another without moral issues being involved. Paul gives us these examples in Romans chapter 14. It says this, For one person has faith to eat all things, while another, who is weak, eats only vegetables. You got that? Now, if we submit to each other, what effect does that have on us? For instance, if we say to everyone, Hey, stay and have some lunch with us. We've got a barbecue. What's on the barbecue? Sausages, right? So what we make sure is, not only that we have something for the person who doesn't eat meat, but we do it in such a way that they don't feel embarrassed or humiliated. Do you see what I'm saying? That's submit. We come across to the other people. I've got a couple of wrinkly noses there. Mm, I don't know about that. All right? Well, you get that. like I said, think about what I say. The next thing is, okay, one person regards a certain day above the others, while someone else considers every day alike. Make up your mind not to put stumbling, any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. So what that means is some people say, oh, you shouldn't mow the lawns on the Sabbath. And some people say you shouldn't mow the lawns on Sunday. Some people think Sunday is the Sabbath, you see. So what happens is we don't kind of rub it in their face. We might go, oh, I can mow my lawns any time I want. But we don't, we're not like that. As Christians, we submit. Look, it would actually be quite convenient to mow the lawns on the Sabbath, but okay, I don't want to offend my brother. Do you think I'm getting the heart of this stuff? See, we make it. Look, I don't want to offend him. It's going to offend him. It's going to make him feel as if I'm sinning. No, that's okay. I feel okay about it. But what we do on the Sabbath and what we do on Sunday might affect someone else. It says this, I am convinced and fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed by what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Drinking. That's why we don't serve alcohol here, right? We're not saying that you couldn't have a drink. But what we're saying is if we put it out there, some people are going to have their conscience offended by it. Now, afterwards, we say, hey, after the service, do you want to stay for a cup of tea or coffee? knowing that for a lot of people in this town, drinking tea or coffee would offend their conscience. They've been taught it's wrong since they were very young. What we could say is, would you like to stay for a drink and a talk afterwards and make sure that when they go up the front, they can have tea or coffee or something else, a fruit juice or a Milo or something, and we don't make a big deal about it. Hi, you'd like a Milo? Sure. So they don't feel stink. You got that? For some people... If we make a big fuss about coffee, it would be like us going to another church and say, come along to Cannabis Essential. No. All right. (laughs) Cannabis Connect. All right. So we don't offend people's consciences. So there's all sorts of things that, that, that there's all sorts of ways. Here are some examples. I was a cooking teacher. A little girl came up to me. She says, Mr. Welsh, I can't eat beef because I'm a Hindu. Have you got anything else? I go, oh, I'm sorry, because we were cooking chili con carne or something that week. I'm really sorry, but next week... I'll fix it, you see. The next week she came back to cooking, I forgot. Bad, 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 see? Because I didn't submit to her in the right way. I apologise very, very much. I'm so, so sorry because I had nothing else. But you can be sure that after that time there was always some lamb mints in the freezer because her conscience was important to me. What about um, how should Christians have made such a fuss about the way people dress, you know? 
say, ooh, he shouldn't wear that to church. She shouldn't wear that to church. And then other person, why shouldn't I? I can wear whatever I like. Don't you tell me. Right? See how the bad attitude's coming on both sides? Now, the, the right way of doing it, somebody comes in and says, hey, look, does, does the way I'm dressed upset you? And the other person goes, well, I don't like it very much, but the main thing is you're here. It's lovely to see you. Do you see how we just completely flip-flop the whole thing? Instead of, hey, I insist on my rights, we're doing it the other way around. It's more like, hey, can, is there anything I can do to ease your conscience? Or, or at the beach, you know, some people like to swim nude, and some like to wear a bikini or speedo. Some people think they should swim in their clothes, and some people don't think Christians should swim at all. Well, all right, then that's the way we do it. So somebody goes, um, hey, does it worry you if I, if I swim like this? Another person says, oh, well, I don't like it very much, but um, so shall I move up the beach? No, I just won't look. See, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're coming across to the other person's point of view. Because sad to say, oh, I was going to show you. Do you know what's going on in that picture? You going to guess? They are. This is Chicago in about 1920, and the police have arrested these women because their swimming clothes are too skimpy. They're too skimpy, and so they are being arrested for breaching Chicago's laws about abbreviated swimming costumes. And the reason I put that up was because, first of all, it's just such a cracker, but... Now, you can see it's not just these two. There's plenty in the background. The police have just done a swoop, and they're rounding up all the women who are in skimpy bathing costumes. Now, the reason I'm t- telling you that is because a lot of the things that we think of as a moral issue are actually cultural, all right? Polynesians went skinny dipping for thousands of years and never worried anyone. So if it worries people, it's a cultural construct. You look at that. Sadly, I suspect that some conservative Christians would have been behind those laws and those arrests. We've got to keep the morals up on our beaches. This will corrupt the children, they said. These swimming costumes will corrupt the children. It's a moral issue. No, it's not a moral issue. It's a cultural issue, just like a lot of things that Christians fuss about. Jokes. Some people like jokes, some don't. All right, then, I like jokes. But if you're around if somebody who doesn't like jokes, tone it down. All right? Don't tell the jokes when they're there. Years ago, I was in a Christian group that meets near here, and I said to the leader, you know, to the Maori people, it's very offensive when you sit on tables. So we shouldn't sit on the table. And the leader of the group said this to me. Well, Jeremy, the Maori people have to realise that our group's for everyone, not just for Maori people. Guess how many Maori people came to that group? Not many. You see? See what I'm saying? We, we, we sort of look at other persons. Uh, is it important? Yeah, it's important, all right. When Bana Hedemir is the principal of Rākamanga School. I listened to him give a speech on why we need Māori schools, and he said this. He said, because in mainstream schools, they forbid the sharing of food and they sit on tables. He could have said all sorts of things, but those were the two he chose, as violating Māori conscience and values. To forbid the sharing of food and to sit on tables is violating their culture and their values. So in our church, we share food. We don't sit on tables. And there we are. Now, I was in Huntley College, and a woman walked into the staff room. We'll call her Fire Hothead. And she walked across the sink bench. She grabbed the tea towel, which was hanging on the little rail thing, and she washed her face with it. And another teacher, who we'll call Mrs. Miss Hothead, was, was over in the staff room. Hey, what are you doing? She says, hey, I'm all right. She says, you shouldn't wipe your face on the tea towel. Why not? Okay, right. Anyway, we went. These two hot-headed women had a big ding-dong, you see. So is it my job to sort that? 
Blessed are the peacemakers. No, it wasn't. Blessed are the peacemakers. Yep, that's our job. When people are like that, don't you pray, Lord, let me be an instrument of your peace if you're not prepared to do something. So, of course, it was my job. Not right there. I might have got my head bitten off. But later on, when Mrs. Facewipe had calmed down a bit, I sat down next to her and I said, how do you feel when people sit on tables? She said, oh, I hate that. It's really wrong. I said, and yet, to a lot of parkers, there's nothing wrong with sitting on a table. She goes, I said, so do you know why the parkers in this school don't sit on the table? No. I said, it's because of you. It's because of your values. It's because of you. We're respecting you by not sitting on the table. And I'm going to ask you not to wash your face on the tea towel for the same reason. Because the parkers, that's gross. We use that to wipe the clean cups. Oh, she said, and she got it. So there we are. We don't insist on our rights. We lay down our rights, even if we're sure we're right. God doesn't say that we have to eat beef. He doesn't say we have to wear a bikini. He doesn't say we have to tell jokes. And he doesn't say that we have to sit on tables. So it won't kill us if we abstain for someone else's sake. And to the someone else's, it won't kill you if somebody has a beer or goes skinny dipping. So how do I land this? I'll summarize what I've said. Here we go. We are to, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some people have overstressed this and put themselves or other humans in the place of God with serious results. We must weigh what we hear, thinking is allowed. We cannot compromise on moral issues. We must follow and obey Christ. But there are many ways we can lay down our own rights and preferences to help others feel more welcome or to save them from violating their own consciences. I want to finish with a scripture that I used, this may be the scripture I use most. It's certainly one of the two when I go into the homes of people who are broken and hurting. A lot of the places I go, there's violence, there's spats, there's fights, there's family stuff going on. And this is a scripture that I often use. And I'm going to say it to you and then I'm going to explain it as I explain it to them. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul wrote that to the Romans. Now, I say to the people, sometimes at the end of the day, you look back at what was happened and you say, you know, I didn't do all I could to live at peace. That other person was really pretty grumpy, but the way I responded was not helpful. I have to be honest. I didn't do everything I could to live at peace with everyone today. And you say sorry to God and you apologize and you get forgiven and then you go to sleep with a good conscience. But there will be other times when you look back, you go, that was a terrible day. But to be honest, I did everything I could. I really did do everything I could to live at peace with everyone. So my conscience is clear. I know I've done what God says. And I will not carry guilt for the things that went wrong today. Because sometimes, brothers and sisters, it's not your fault. And you have to recognize that and give yourself a bit of a break. Let's pray. God, we live in a, a place and a time that's obsessed with our rights. We've got the rights to this and that and the other, what to eat, what to wear, where to go. But as Christians, we're meant to be the other way around. We're meant to think about the other person's rights. We're meant to think about what will bring peace and harmony. We need to think about how we can respect their values and how we can help their conscience not to be defiled. So we pray that you'd help us to make the switch. 
Instead of thinking about our side of things, we can start to see other people's side of things. That in our actions, we'd be quite willing to change them if it's upsetting someone else. And if we are the someone else, if we get offended and cranky about what other people do, help us to be tolerant. Help us to realise, in fact, that some of the things we worry about are not that important to you. We pray, Lord, for this to be a place of peace and tolerance. And we thank you, Lord, that it came through today, recognised us that when a, when a young woman in desperate need actually walked in through our door at her moment of greatest need. May that be the place that we hold in this town. May we be known as people who are peacemakers, who are willing to listen, willing to get on and willing to do what we can to submit to others and to do what it takes to get along. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.